The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum everyone. Welcome to the Arise to Success show where we aim to highlight inspiring individuals and their journeys to success. My name is Jihad. I'm your host in this show. Throughout the show, dear listeners, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send those on 0779481822. Our guest today is Sabria Karim, who is an associate editor working at Nature Cell Biology, a scientific journal that publishes high-quality research across all disciplines of cell biology. Sabria helps scientists bring their research stories out to the world. She specifically coordinates the peer review process of publishing research articles and ensuring that articles published are technically, ethically and scientifically sound. As a Muslim woman who is part of, uh, as part of, uh, uh, I'm getting modelled up, who is part of an underrepresented minority working in science or STEM, she would like to share her personal story of how she followed this path and why she's passionate about advocating for more women in STEM roles, with the greater message of owning Own's life journey. Sabria, so lovely to have you with us on the show today, and welcome to that Rise to Success. How are you doing today? Assalamu alaikum, Jihad. Alhamdulillah, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Wa alaikum assalam, jazakallah khair. So Sabria, first, if you can tell us a bit more about you as Sabria and your interest in science or STEM roles. Yes, of course. So I'm Sabria, like you said, and beautifully pronounced my name. Thank you. It's usually the first hurdle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm i from the UK, born and brought up, but I'm originally from Mauritius. As you may know, Mauritius is a small island in the Indian Ocean, so next to South Africa. And really, I grew up there. So I spent the first couple of years of life here in the UK and did sort of most of my schooling there in Mauritius and then moved back to the UK for university education. So that's a little bit about my background. And with regards to my interest in science, I've been interested in science since a little girl, really. You know, back in the days where you'd have sort of some nurse, doctor kit and playing with toys. I always used to find the equipment fascinating, just beakers or test tubes and the stethoscope. So this fascination really began when, when I was much younger. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't really anybody in my family who have pursued the science um, and it was really very much stepping into into the unknown. And in high school, I pursued science subjects. I, I really loved biology, so the workings of the human body and life around us, although I did do chemistry and physics. I did not enjoy mathematics, but that's also part of science, but we'll keep that to ourselves. I was not very good at it. Um, but always had an interest, really, in sciences. And I think... I got onto the path quite organically. It was really literally following what I was interested in and passionate about and found myself doing sciences at school and then at university and now working in, in the sciences. And I enjoy it very much still. Mashallah, seems like you're very passionate about it since it's, mashallah, started from a very young age. <laughs> mashallah. I was actually going to ask you how long you've been in the role, but it seems like, mashallah, you've been in it since you've been very young, right? Yes. So actually, I, so I've, I've switched roles within the sciences, um, oh. alhamdulillah, and I think that's been wonderful. So I originally wanted to pursue medical school, and that's maybe a whole other story. I, I never really got into medical school. I, I don't really know why. I never seemed to get through the interview process, subhanAllah, um, even though I sort of applied multiple times. But sort of out of serendipity, really, I ended up in what we call the fundamental life sciences and research. So as an undergraduate, I was actually living in Luton, which is why I say that Luton has a very special place for me. I did my undergrad at the University of Bedfordshire okay. many, months, many months ago. So I lived in Luton for three years. I was on the Luton campus and I was studying biomedical sciences with the idea of joining medical school as a postgraduate student I think you'd still do that if you do an undergrad that's in the medical sciences you could then join but incidentally my last year of biomedical sciences we usually do an undergraduate research project and that was really my first foray into real work of research and practical lab-based work where we had a project with a question 
and we'll be in the so lab. I'm going to have to carry on. I'm going to have to get up and close the door because there's noise coming from outside. Don't worry, you carry on. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, I hope there's not too much noise coming from my side. No, that's, okay. that's right. So I I had to do this project as part of the undergraduate. And subhanAllah, when I stepped into the lab, really, I, I absolutely loved it. I was working with bacteria at the time, but this process of setting up an experiment, designing it, setting up an experiment to test a question and then watching the magic happen and then interpreting the results and analyzing it and coming to conclusions based on the data. That scientific process, I really enjoyed. It thrilled me and it spurred me on to ask the next questions. So after that undergraduate project, I remember still applying for medical school, but a little half-heartedly because I thought to myself, I I don't know, I really enjoy the research aspect as well. And of course, I think people in medical school also get to do research, which I think is really, really fun and well-rounded doctors. But anyway, that's how I ended up sort of giving up, if you like, on medical school and then pursuing the pure research path. So I then did a postgraduate degree. I did a master's to get more research experience. And I did a master's by research, so an MRes. And I moved to Manchester to do that. So I did that at the University of Manchester for a year. And the difference between a master's by research and master's of science is the research focus is heavier in the MRESs. So you do half a year of a research project, which really was ideal for me because I was looking to build my experience of working in the lab to then be able to apply to PhD research programs. And then from that, alhamdulillah, I was able to get onto a research degree with a funded scholarship after my master's degree. And I stayed at the University of Manchester. I switched faculties, actually. I was in medicine and then moved to life sciences. And I was doing a pure research, fundamental research project, which I did for four years. So I was fully based in the lab. PhD roles are sort of different. You're not a student, but you're not working either. <laughs> so it's mm. some it's weird vacuum yeah. between the two. Yep. And so I did that for four years. And then afterwards got a job again, which was, this was more of a job, but I was still training as a postdoctoral researcher. So this was to further my training in research because the idea and the goal at the time was to become a researcher myself and have an independent position where I would have my own lab and lead projects and have students to mentor, etc. So after my PhD, I moved to Canada on a contract. I was very fortunate, actually. It was really great to get the research experience in Canada when I stayed there for four years, four years, and that overlapped with the pandemic. Mm. And then things changed a little bit when I was in Canada with regards to research positions at the time that I was applying for funding. And this was not just myself. Everybody, I think, in that cohort was affected by the pandemic. And there was funding was a little bit sort of redirected and restricted at the time. And I think also for personal reasons, one that has to move around a lot in research, which I think is fantastic to get the experience and expertise, but it means you're never really stable in one place and you're hopping from contract to contract. Mm. So then I switched gears a little bit and pivoted into academic publishing. So now instead of doing the research uh, myself, I'm sort of on the other side, if you like. I publish research stories um, and it's, it's a role that very much requires the background that I have and the training and alhamdulillah so still in sciences but the role has changed I guess over the last 15 years or so mm. wow quite interesting mashallah and quite a lot mashallah that you've done wow alhamdulillah. <laughs> yeah alhamdulillah. and actually before I want to apologize to yourself and our dear listeners for having to move my house was quiet and all of a sudden it got very loud so I had to get up and close the door <laughs> happens right live <laughs> um yeah I found it quite interesting mashallah that all the things that you've done and as you said the traveling and so on and so on now because i see i i follow you on instagram and i do see that you're still mashallah, doing a lot of traveling with work i'm wondering how you feel about that you know constant traveling and i mean some people would love it and mashallah, as you said it's a lot of experience but some personalities they like to be more settled i'm wondering how you how that goes with you in terms of traveling from one place to another constantly yeah i think that's a wonderful question and one that so it deserves lots of attention. So I, with the research training, the travel, the travel really comes with it. And like I mentioned, it's, it's almost a prerequisite for the role or at least advancing in the role. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll share why. So when people do research in one place and one can stay 
sort of put, I think that's fine as well. There isn't really one way of doing it. But the reasoning behind people moving around and moving, switching labs, at least if one doesn't want to move borders, is to gain the exposure of different techniques and different expertises from different labs across the world, which is why it's highly encouraged when one is training to move labs at least or and or do research in different countries and get that experience. Mm. In terms of my current role, and I guess as a researcher, people are traveling to conferences. So we, in my current role, that's where the travel aspect comes in. I tend to have to travel to conferences. And the reason being is to keep up with the latest trends of research and what what researchers are working on in the fields and in the subject areas that I handle at the journal. Mm. What's the latest topics? What are emerging trends? Because obviously it's like a magazine, right? Almost like mm. a fashion sort of what is the latest trends and what should we be putting out into our shops that's very it's a very similar principle um and that's why we attend these conferences but also it's an opportunity to interact one-to-one with our authors people who do publish with the journal to get their thoughts and sometimes scout for stories that maybe the journal isn't on their radar and we want to put the journal on their radar. But to answer your question, how I feel about the the travel, I enjoy it, alhamdulillah. And I think my personal circumstances allow for it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, being a woman, I think that's also one of the challenges of sometimes attending these conferences and traveling constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, it would mean leaving the family for a few, usually a few days up to a week, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how far we're, we're going. And that can be a challenge, and I appreciate that. But alhamdulillah, I'm able to... To work around it and I, I thoroughly enjoy it I must say not the technical traveling part you know yeah. etc but once I'm there alhamdulillah I've had the opportunity of going to absolutely gorgeous locations um, we are stuck indoors when we are at these locations however but nevertheless mm-hmm. it's um, it's really wonderful and just mm-hmm. the exposure that we get as well and the fresh ideas it's I find it good on a personal level too Absolutely, absolutely. And I have a question about the um, research stories that you do. But before I do that, I'm just going to quickly reintroduce you just in case any listeners joined us a bit later. So we have Sabria with us on the show today, who is an associate editor working at Nature Nature Cell Biology, which is a scientific journal that publishes high quality research across all disciplines of cell biology. Sabria helps scientists bring their research stories out to the world. She specifically coordinates the peer review process of publishing research articles and ensuring that articles are public, or the articles published are technically, ethically and scientifically sound. Dear listeners, if you have any questions um, to Sabria or any comments, please feel free to send those in 0779481822. Sabria, my question here was, about the research stories, when when you bring those research stories out, can you tell us a bit more? What does that mean? What does it look like? Yeah, sure. So as an editor, what we do is we receive submissions of research papers, so whatever findings a research lab may have from a project that they may have been working on for years usually. Mm-hmm. They'd come up with findings. They would write a scientific paper introducing the question telling us what the research is about, the background, share the methods with us and how they came to the data, the conclusions that they publish, that they're wanting to publish, and then a discussion in light of whatever else is published. And then usually these findings, because they will be new and not have been published before, they would like to send it to a journal so Mm -hmm. that it's a way of disseminating this information. So the way the general process works is we would receive these submissions in-house and I'm part of a team of what is known as professional editors. So we have the scientific background to evaluate research within obviously our area of expertise, which is cell biology in this, in my case, mm. and to, to then coordinate the peer review process. So once the paper is submitted, editors evaluate the manuscript and there are multiple things that we look at um, to see whether it's suitable for the journal that we're publishing at. Like you mentioned in my introduction, the journal that I work for is quite a selective and specialised journal and is high on the impact factor. It's, it's a technical term in the field that essentially indicates sort of how good, if you like, a journal is and the reputation, etc., of publishing there. So we're quite, mashallah, we're quite popular as a journal and a popular sort of destination for researchers because we have a broad audience, which means there's much reach for the research when it's published in the journal. So we make these decisions internally as to whether to send out for peer review, which essentially means eliciting 
experts, so other researchers in the field who are experts on the topic. We usually try and cover all the expertise within that's within a paper to critically evaluate what's in the paper, how the authors have done the research, the conclusions that they've drawn, if it's sound, etc., and give us advice as editors. Because, of course, individually, we're not experts in absolutely everything mm-hmm. in cell biology, which is kind of really a vast area. But, you know, we're able to assess science. And then based on these referee reports, we would ask authors to revise their paper and re-edit it, make amendments. And this is an iterative process until... We're sort of happy with the final products. The experts are happy as well. And then we would we would publish the paper and all the technicalities that come with it. We oftentimes publish, so this would be something the editors take care of, short form of the paper, which is sort of bite-sized. What is the message? What's the implication for the field um, in, the, in the journal as well so that people can sort of very quickly summarize mm-hmm. what the main points are. And we put together an issue that's monthly um, and it comes out sort of as a publication. Mm. So the general process of, and we do it all over again. <laughs> um, it's interesting. That reminds me of my university years because we used to do research. Um, I studied psychology and I remember research methods was my favorite subject. Yeah. I don't anyone else liking research methods, but I remember we had a really good lecture. He was so good. Um, he was very firm, very strict, but he would teach really well. So I remember, yeah, I remember the things that he would give and tell us what to do, and I would go home, practice and practice practice. Yeah. I was like, I really need to get this. And Hamla became my favorite subject. <laughs> oh, amazing. And I love what you said there, Jihad, because also – you made a really beautiful point there, which, you know, you liked the teacher. And I think that has a big influence when we're much younger on how we see subjects afterwards. Yeah. I don't know if that's the case for you, but it can sometimes encourage people to pursue a certain path if the teacher is really engaging and passionate and then it imbibes that passion to the students. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when you mentioned the whole process, I remember it's like, yes, that's what we were told that we needed to do when we submit our research paper and the peer review right. and the whole thing. So that kind of refreshed my memory. So thank you for sharing that. I was wondering, I was wondering as well, you mentioned that it's, it can be quite challenging for women. So I'm wondering, are there a lot of women in this field or, you know, Muslim women or Muslims in general or women in general? Yeah, this is a good point. This is the crux really of the work that I do outside of of being an editor and science so that there aren't very many women period mm-hmm. in in the sciences and in the the wider sort of stem so technology engineering and mathematics fields and this has been a problem a long-standing issue mm-hmm. i think with i think quite a complex one with multiple facets and reasons but no there aren't very many women there aren't very many women from underrepresented ethnic minorities for sure and there aren't at all very many Muslim women in in the field. I mean, throughout my time in research, and like I mentioned, I was studying at a university of Manchester, which is, at least with regards to the UK, generally speaking, quite a diverse student body with lots of different people from different backgrounds. And even then, I was pretty isolated as a woman in the lab. There was a point in time where I was the only woman in the lab if, you know, just men... Um, and certainly as a Muslim woman, I was for sure the only one in the lab, but also sort of across the building, we were far and few between. There were some Muslim women, thankfully, which was wonderful to have sisterhood, but there aren't very many there aren't very many Muslim women in the field. And in my current role as an editor, I am the first Muslim woman, um, and if you like, the first Muslim hijab-wearing woman at the working at the journal in its 25-year history. Wow. Yes. yes, alhamdulillah. So it is, we celebrated 25 years this month, actually, at the journal. But uh, there, aren't, there aren't very many at all. And even within the company as well, we're very far and few between. And that's, that's, that's a fact, actually. And um, I think it's also reflected in other journal companies and, like I said, science in, in general. Mm. Oh, so I believe you're making history there, mashallah, Sabria. <laughs> alhamdulillah for the, for the role. Alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. And do you think, you know, talking about Muslim, not many Muslims are in the role and being the only Muslim woman or Muslim hijabi as well, do you think more Muslims are needed in such roles and such fields and how does it help the Muslim community? Yeah, I love that question, mashallah. I think, look, I think Muslims, the Muslim population around the world 
is such a huge pool of talent and perspectives. And science is one of those fields, or even I think the mathematics, tech, engineering as well. I, sort of, that's what I mean when I say sciences, not just the life sciences. To advance discovery, we need creativity and innovation, and it's constantly changing and evolving. We saw this with the pandemic, for example, how researchers had to come together, get a vaccine out there, and test it, go through all the, the works before it could, and it was life-saving, really. Unfortunate for people who lost their lives before that, that happened, but generally speaking, it's what's allowing us to sort of exit the pandemic and continue life more or less normally. But to get to these points, research is such a is such a broad and vast sort of beast, if you like. We really need people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, different experiences to tackle really the world's problems. And so I think, yes, we definitely need more Muslims, more Muslim women and women in general, sort of all, all of these levels working in the sciences for those reasons. Because I could give an example. This isn't one that's personal to me, but I find it super fascinating and I think it drives the point home. We talk about climate change and there are countries that are we're all affected by it on the planet, but I think at different rates we're experiencing different issues. We saw the floods, terrible floods in Pakistan last year, or the year before. And in my home country, Mauritius, nowadays is cyclonic season and we're seeing terrible cyclones that, you know, it's just much stronger than they ever used to be from what I remember in, in, in my lifetime. And this is all the effects of climate change. But how to address these? You know, obviously Mauritius, for example, maybe Pakistan is the same, don't necessarily have like all of the resources, but they have the perspective of what it's like to live in such conditions when there are floods or there are cyclones. So these perspectives and how they deal with it or what could be done is super important. Same with people who are in the Pacific Islands who where the water levels are rising because of climate change. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are research projects now that are involving what they call the local people in the project, at least in the research itself, even if they're not the persons driving the research, but they're involved in the process. And that in itself, I think, is fantastic because even that we don't have enough of. Mm-hmm. This will help find better solutions. I mm-hmm. firmly believe that. And even within the medical field, a lot of the research that is done on cohorts where they take groups of patients and analyze maybe variants and how they responded to X drug, and then they come up with sort of the next step. A lot of these cohorts are oftentimes quite homogeneous in being white people of a certain Asian background. And then we see differences when these treatments were applied to perhaps people from other backgrounds or underrepresented minorities. So I think if there's more inclusion in the entire process, then we come up with sort of better, better therapies, targeted therapies, and it benefits the field on a whole, I firmly believe. So yes, I do think we need more Muslims um, out there. And I think the last part of your question was how it affects the Muslim, the Muslim community. I think it's empowering to be part of research and part of science and driving and using the skills, alhamdulillah, that we have and the intelligence and talent to put that into play and make the science more accessible. And Mm -hmm. I think that can benefit us as a community Mm -hmm. overall, even economically, right? Yeah. Research has a lot of influence, right? So being in such a field, we'll be, it empowers us as a community to yes. have an influence as well. Because that's yes. something I remember my colleague uh, or my friend when I was at university was telling me, um, because he, he, he's smiling, he went back to his country to make that change in his country. And he kept wow. on telling me, get into research, it makes a huge difference. But subhanAllah, you know, Allah chooses different fields for everybody, right? Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. But it's certainly something that I had in mind and it's certainly something that I really was looking into getting. But Alhamdulillah chose a different path for me. That's something he did and he is having a big influence in his country, Alhamdulillah, with that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm a strong you know, advocate for that as well. Um, sorry, go ahead. You want to say something? 
Alhamdulillah, I just wanted to comment. I think, like you said, people have different paths and there's no one way to make an impact. But, you know, mashallah, with the work that you're doing in, in psychology, and by the way, I think if I could go back to university, I would study psychology. I think it's so fascinating. Um, there's multiple aspects, but that's a different conversation. So, yeah, yeah. just what you said. Well, mashallah, you did mashallah very well in, in, in your field. Mashallah, go to where you are now. So, alhamdulillah, get, coming back to what we're saying, that Allah chooses what's best for us, right? Mm-hmm. So, alhamdulillah. Yeah. Uh, we are actually approaching the break now so i'm going to quickly just um, remind our dear listeners that we have sabri with us on the show today who's an associate editor working at nature cell biology a scientific journal that publishes high quality research across all disciplines of cell biology sabria helps scientists bring their research stories out to the world and she specifically coordinates the peer review process of publishing research articles and ensuring that articles published are technically ethically and scientifically sound so just um now we were talking the first part of the show we were talking about you know um the field that sabri is in and how the not many muslims or many muslim women specifically are in the field and how she's encouraging more muslims to be in the field so that they can have um you know that influence inshallah and positive influence in the community so dear listeners we are going for the short break this is inspire fm 105.1 um inshallah do Stay tuned. We'll be back in a few minutes. Assalamu alaikum. This is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Assalamu alaikum, everyone, and welcome back to the Arise the Success Show. We have Sabria Kareem with us today, who is an associate who's an associate editor working at Nature Cell Biology, a scientific journal that publishes high-quality research across all disciplines of cell biology. Sabria helps scientists bring their research stories out to the world. She specifically coordinates the peer review process of publishing research articles and ensuring that articles published are technically, ethically and scientifically sound. As a Muslim woman who is part of an underrepresented minority working in science or STEM, Sabria, Sabria is sharing with us today her personal story of how she followed this path and why she is passionate about advocating for more women in STEM roles with the greater message of owning, owns, of owning one's own life journey. Dear listeners, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send them on 0779481822. So, Sabria, welcome back again to the show. And uh, alhamdulillah, before the show, we were talking about the amazing work that you do and how, you know, there are many Muslims in the role and how you've also given ideas of, you know, how important it is for Muslim women and Muslims in general to be in such roles, to have that influence on the community, inshallah. Um on the same topic about, you know, not many um, or Muslim women specifically, I'm wondering how was your experience as a Muslim woman who's part of this underrepresented minority working in the science of the STEM role? Um, if you can tell us a bit, a bit more about your personal experience. Yeah, sure. I, I'd love to. So I joined university and Luckily, I think back then I was sort of being more free. And even if I did notice that there weren't very many mm. Muslims or people who looked like me around in the immediate environment, I still pushed pushed on and continued despite it. And I, and I really think it's almost as if nothing to do with me. It, it's really the drive and the interest in the what I was researching. And alhamdulillah, I was able to research the things that I was genuinely interested in it wasn't sort of I fell into a PhD program that I hated um, which I think is important and that's really what drove me even if there weren't very many people who looked like me around I remember I had a Muslim colleague join the lab that I did my PhD in maybe around in the last year that I was there I remember feeling so thrilled that there was another Muslim person who joined because that meant when it was Ramadan I wasn't the only one fasting for example and so I just had to be quiet about it and not join sort of the regular lunch breaks mm. or, you know, have to justify extensively why I'm not eating, which is sometimes what we have to do as Muslims in, in, in the workplace. But then, so that was really very nice. And like I said, there were a few Muslim ladies sort of around the research building. Maybe there were three of us in, in total in this, in this building doing research in different labs. So we were able to, to come together. 
I will say, Alhamdulillah, when I moved to Canada to do the training, the postdoctoral training, I think I was quite lucky because I actually moved to an area of Canada, so Quebec, which is beautiful, mm-hmm. completely beautiful, fantastic people. But I was working in a hospital, in a research hospital, <clears throat> excuse me, a children's hospital doing doing research there. So it's cancer-related research, which is mm-hmm. actually unfortunate um, because this is a cancer that affects children, leukemia. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we were in the research centre, and there really weren't very many. The hospital itself was not very diverse at all. But the lab that I joined, there were a few of us from, you know, North African countries and mm-hmm. Like I say, we overlapped in our time in the lab. So I was very lucky in that sense to have some colleagues, you know, who were Muslim. There was a Muslim lady and um, a Muslim gentleman. And we got together during Ramadan and was able to actually, in you know, they say there's strength in numbers. So we're able to sort of tell our boss, like, for example, that, you know, our focus is difficult, different during Ramadan and the schedule that it imposes, etc. So my experience, I would say, is, Overall positive, definitely positive. I think if it was not positive, I would have left research for a long time. But in terms of the representation and seeing people who look like you, that that belonging, I guess, wasn't – it had to come from sort of within. And it, I had to find other things to relate and build bridges with the people around me, you know, because we didn't have the the, the ability to connect on the fact that we were Muslim, and that's a huge part of our identity. Um, mm. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. yeah. So and it, I, it did really helped to have that support. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, sorry, Jihad. Uh, and, but I wanted to say something, actually, which it means a lot. And in my current role, again, I joined um, the company two and a half years ago. And within that time, I actually changed roles twice. So my role at Nature Cell Biology, I've always been an editor, but I was an editor at a different journal because mm-hmm. the company sort of has a family of journals. And I joined Nature Cell Biology a year ago. But I remember at the time before sort of starting to wear hijab, actually, because that was that only happened a couple of years ago, I felt apprehensive, not because of the decision itself, but rather, you know, the apprehension of what is it going to feel like at work? People who know me are going to ask questions. How am I going to face that, et cetera, et cetera. But the one thing that almost like sealed that, that deal and helped with that anxiety that I was genuinely feeling was seeing another lady who... She, Mashallah, has a high position. She's a chief editor at one of the sister journals. And she wears a scarf mm. on her head. And I remember there was this sort of networking event that I attended. And she was also there. But just seeing and speaking with her, of course, I didn't, I'd only met her, so I hadn't asked about, you know, oh, you wear the headscarf and that's wonderful, etc. But just inside me, that image of seeing someone who is a chief editor, so she's at the head of a journal, in that leadership position, wearing her headscarf, she was also expecting a baby. It just, to me, it's it's funny. And this is maybe something that's deeply rooted in our psychology. You probably know this better. You can relate to it. And suddenly I just felt like you'll be fine. You know, you, it will be okay. And, and alhamdulillah, like I've, I've been, I'm still learning and growing obviously, but I don't feel like I'm out of place in my workplace because there aren't very many people who are around me. And, you know, that's totally, it's, it, for me, it's totally fine. Yeah. That's amazing. And I love what you mentioned there. And it kind of, you know, it's something I want to highlight that this is also an aim that we have, for, you know, for this show is to bring, you know, inspiring individuals like yourself, like, you know, all the other um, sisters and brothers as well that I've had on the show to inspire others. Because sometimes when we try to, you know, as you said, it's 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 harder for Muslims sometimes as well, right? And when we try to do certain things or start up something for ourselves, it's very challenging. It's very challenging in general to kind of start up something for yourself, specifically for the Muslim community. So I want this to be kind of an inspiration. As you said, you know, when you saw that image that, You've, it made you feel that you're you're okay. You can do it, right? And yes. that's exactly yes. That's exactly what the message that I want to send out to others as well. That if someone can do it, we can do it too, and that we're not alone in the journey. Firstly, we have Allah, alhamdulillah, mm-hmm. and that's what uh, makes us, you know, makes Muslims, you know, special in that sense. Is that we have that trust in Allah. We have that tawakkul in Allah. We take action, but we have tawakkul in Allah as well. As long as we take action with the tawakkul, you know, we leave it to Allah, and Allah will guide us through the journey to you know to um towards whatever is meant to be for us and that's khair for us and khair for others as well 
it was so lovely what you mentioned and i was like that's exactly what i want to do with the show so i'm hoping inshallah that this is doing the job <laughs> inshallah and may allah is barakah you've had some amazing people on here and i've watched so, so many episodes myself and like you say i think it's it's so wonderful to see you and, and when you can pinpoint people as well and then reach out to them it's great Alhamdulillah, and inshallah it helps the Muslim community as well. And Jazakallah khair for all you've shared, it's been amazing, mashallah. Now, I'm wondering as well, we'll talk, we talked about, you know, the importance of having Muslims in general in research and so on. I was wondering about STEM role in specific and Muslim women, you know. Um, tell us about your passion advocating for more women in the STEM role. Yeah, so I... I'm very passionate about this and I'll, I'll, explain, I'll explain why. The underlying reason for the passion is passion itself. Mm, wow. What I mean by that is, so whilst I'm advocating for more women, more Muslim women, because that's the community I belong to, to go into STEM roles, if you like the overarching message, which is also in, in what you introduced um, me, is to be able to pursue that which we are passionate about. And of course, I'd love for everybody to be in science, but we're not all, you know, cut out or destined to go into these roles. And ultimately, it's about pursuing the things that we're passionate about. And we tend to be good at, alhamdulillah, the things that we are passionate about, because we just have that genuine drive to grow and to, to evolve. And in terms of encouraging Muslim women, the thing is, like I mentioned earlier, there are many reasons for why there aren't very many Muslim Muslims in general, but also Muslim women in the sciences or in STEM roles. And I think one of the main reasons is because of cultural barriers, limiting beliefs within society, stereotypes for sure, but also that we don't see the representation. And so it's very daunting, like you just said, to go into a field where you don't see people who look like yourself and it maybe makes us wonder, well, why would I go off and, and, and do that? And the message that I would like to bring really with whether it's my own journey, and I know that there are other women, Muslim women out there who are in science, is if a young girl is interested in science and is genuinely interested in whatever aspect of science and would like to pursue it, but is hesitant because either they can't see people look like them in their immediate environment or they don't have that reassurance that someone has done it and it is possible and there are so many opportunities mm. i would hate for it and they have like the ability you know financially and all of the conditions are right it's just that reason of oh i'm not sure that this is compatible with my faith or family life etc all questions which by the way i had myself mm. and went ahead anyway these are the if you like the target audience for me these are the girls that i would like to be able to say no go for it because if you are passionate about it and you enjoy it you will be good at it and not just that you will be able to inshallah benefit the community so this is really so obviously i i think people should do what they are passionate about and for girls who are interested in the sciences muslim women who are interested in staying in the sciences and in the roles for me it's sort of like please go for it because you will be so good at it inshallah and you will be able to have impact and for the reasons that we mentioned earlier we do need our community in the sciences yes absolutely absolutely the impact that you mentioned as well because they're not just you know being successful in the role but then they have in that impact on the muslim community as well help yep. the muslim community and what you mentioned there as well you know if you're passionate about something and that's the kind of work that i um do in terms of personality subhanallah and allah created each one of one of us with a certain passion that is suited for our personalities so fighting that passion doesn't do you or anybody any good but going along with that passion allah has put it in you for a reason right mm-hmm. and therefore instead of fighting and going against it go forward with it, make a sikhara, you know, have that to work with Allah, take action, and inshallah, it will work out for the best, inshallah. Amen. And I'm just going to, um, Sabri, just remind our dear listeners, just in case anybody joined us a bit later, that we have Sabri on the, sh- on the show with us today, who is an associate editor working at Nature Cell Biology, which is a scientific journal that publishes high-quality research ac- across all disciplines of cell biology. Sabri helps scientists bring their research stories out to the world. She specifically coordinates the peer review process of publishing research articles and ensuring that articles published are technically, ethically and scientifically sound. Dear listeners, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send those in 0779 So, Sabrina, mashallah, great stuff that you've shared there. 
Now I want to move slightly because we're reaching nearly the end of the show. I want to move slightly to the other work and the amazing other work that you've been doing that I've been, you know, following you, as I mentioned on Instagram and seeing all of that. So, mashallah, you have become a coach with Khalil Alissa who have had on the show in the past, uh, which is for the Power of Voice Academy. And you've also been running workshops with, for example, Emerald Network. I would love to hear more about this work and, you know, for the dear listeners, inshallah, to get to know more about this work that you're doing. Oh, alhamdulillah. I, it's it's wonderful. Speaking is another passion of mine. And so I, I do see science as communication. And I think science communication, if you like, encompasses me in, in a nutshell. Yeah. So I've, been, I've been involved in speaking, I think, half my life now. Really have dabbled in it at multiple levels. But alhamdulillah, over the last two years or so, sort of taken things more seriously, if you like, and sought out training. So like you mentioned, I am a trainee coach with um, Sister Halila in Power of Voice Academy. Mm-hmm. I actually was a student in Power of Voice Academy last year for the whole of 2022. I ended up doing both of uh, Sister Halila's courses, her, her, her two speaking public speaking courses, and greatly benefited my speaking skills, but also the confidence to put myself out on Instagram, which has only, again, been been about a year, less than a year, I think, also, mm-hmm. and reaching out to platforms like your own, for example, to, to, to be able to speak and share share my message. So it's been really, truly wonderful. I'd recommend the Academy. Halila is great. And I'm now, thankfully, still growing in the role and taking on the role of a trainee coach to the idea is to be to be a full, fully trained speaker coach within the Academy. And it's I love that role as well because through being a coach our role is to provide feedback to sisters that enroll in the in the training program. Mm. And it's amazing because when one is providing feedback, it requires sort of a different skill set of really observing and listening. And amazingly, as a result, we're learning ourselves and mm-hmm. advancing our own speaking skills. So I think it's such an amazing opportunity. I'm so grateful for Halila to have sort of placed that trust within, um, within myself to be able to have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned with Emerald Network, I have a lot of respect, truly, for the work that Emerald Network has has been doing over the last 20 years. They're the biggest Muslim networking organization, and I have a lot of respect for the founder, Rufal. It's funny because I met Rufal maybe two or three years ago, two years, I think, ago now. And I remember at that very first meeting, without knowing that he had this whole network going on we met at a different networking event and I had mentioned about wanting to speak and this was sort of the time where I thought I should go out and do more of this and enjoy myself and he had ideas on the spot mashallah and two years later a couple of weeks ago I had the opportunity of giving a a talk as part of a connecting creatives event about using the, the, the voice to create but also feel good and it was wonderful. It was just an incredible, I think I had the most fun, maybe, than the attendees themselves. I, I hope they took something away from it. But it was so, so fascinating to be able to share that passion and to connect, more importantly, with, with attendees and learn from, from them as well. So alhamdulillah, it's, it's something that is a work in progress and building upon, but I'm really enjoying every aspect of it. Um, as, for example, speaking with you here through, through this opportunity. So alhamdulillah. And something I must point out as well, I mentioned it to you in the uh, in the message in the, in the during the break. I love how humble you are about all the work that you do, mashallah. Like seeing you on Instagram and all the amazing work that you do. And even now, mashallah, talking about all the educational background, it just shows, you know, that humble, hum, being humble, subhanAllah, as, as Muslims is very important. And it leads, inshallah, to further success. And I think it's, import, it's quite important that we give that credit back to our Lord, because if it wasn't for Allah, we wouldn't be able to do. Um, and that's something I have to constantly remind myself, you know, because sometimes, you know, the shaitan can play around with our heads, right? Yes. So um, it's something that I've noticed about you, mashallah, and I, I want to point it out and also give that message to myself and others, inshallah, that, you know, remaining humble is very important as Muslims. And inshallah, it leads to more success for us in the community and the Muslim ummah as well, mashallah. Mm-hmm. Um, something else I want to mention, if you allow me, about TEDx. Am I okay to mention? <laughs> no, it's okay. No, no, go for it, please. Okay, so you are going to be a speaker on TEDx, mashallah. Oh. It's amazing. Yeah, mashallah, tell us more about that. Oh, God. No, no, it's not. I wasn't hesitating. It's just, I feel like, thank you for saying it, because it almost feels like, okay, it's real. 
Alhamdulillah, it's a few weeks away. It is actually literally three and a half weeks away. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, I have the opportunity of a lifetime, really. And I think for, for many speakers in general, if one asks, what is the dream platform? I think TED, TEDx is sort of pretty high up on everybody's list. And, and alhamdulillah, I can't even put into words how grateful I feel for this opportunity, but not just for myself. And I truly mean this. For the for the Ummah, there are many other Muslim speakers in this cohort, and it's an amazing lineup, truly. Of course, there are also some non-Muslims, but with incredible messages. And the theme is breaking barriers, and it's I think it's going to be incredible. And Alhamdulillah, this opportunity really came out from serendipity, but also a bit back to what I was saying earlier, having that courage really to push forward with one's passions and not just kind of put it behind closed doors or suppressing it because, oh, it seems a bit sort of flimsy and nobody cares. I, I would never have expected to have been on, you know, be, be, have the opportunity of, inshallah, being on the TEDx stage. Mm. And this is really something that came out when I decided to pursue my passion of training as a speaker and taking it more seriously yeah. to, to try and invest. And really this was an opportunity that came out of that, you know, because you get noticed and then, People know of your work and think, oh, this will fit this event and therefore get invited to be on the stage. So Alhamdulillah, currently very intensively training for the TEDx stage, but uh, it's going to be fantastic. And I cannot wait to see you there. <laughs> yes, um, I'm really looking forward and excited excited about it. And specifically, that platform is specifically for Muslims. As you said, there are non-Muslim speakers there as well, but it was it was a platform specifically, to, you know, kind of you yes. know, set up for um, uh, to have Muslim speakers there, mashallah. Yes. I don't know if there are any tickets left. Um, do you know? Because of- I would reach out to the organizers because yeah. I think that sold out at the moment from the last that I've I've heard. But yeah. I've perhaps you can reach out to Sister Halida or yeah. Jennifer, who's uh, organizing the co-organizers, yeah. the amazing ladies who they have their own story. I would not share it on their behalf of how yeah. they've gotten the license, etc., and persevered. Sure. But um, I would reach out to, to Halida yeah. and, and see what, whether there's anything that can be done. Yeah, I'm just thinking if our dear listeners are, you know, becoming inspired to attend, then inshallah they can reach out. And Khalila Lista is found on Instagram under the Power of Voice Academy. Um, Jennifer is either under, I can't remember her surname, it's quite difficult to pronounce, but also under Sisters in Business as well, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. And I've had them both, mashallah, amazing, amazing ladies, mashallah. I've had them on, 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 yeah. on my show. Mashallah, lovely stories and lovely work that they are doing for the ummah, mashallah. I mean, sisters in business, most of the guests in my show are from sisters in business, mashallah. Incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. And, you know, Jihad, it's interesting because I actually came through Sister Khalida's work through sisters in business. So they're incredible. They're really incredible. Yeah. yeah. And the meeting, subhanAllah, when you connect with other sisters is also amazing. And you mentioned Ruful as well with um, regards to Emerald Network, mashallah. That, in fact, you know, the same way you got to know him, I it was the same for me because when I attended Jennifer's event, uh, one of the um, awards events that she had in the past, he was a photographer there because one of the things that he does is photography. And I didn't know that he's got all this Emerald Network. And then someone else told me about his, you know, his work is in, in Emerald Network. And then I connected with him and kind right. of collaborated as well. So subhanAllah, you know, sometimes you connect and Allah makes it happen at the right time, right? Very true. I, when you were saying it, I was like, that's exactly the same for me. <laughs> yes. SubhanAllah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, um, I'm cautious of time just because I just looked at the time and I would like to ask my last question before the end of the show. We've got a few minutes. So, Sabria, what advice or recommendations would you give Muslims to be more involved in the community to help the Muslim Ummah. We talked briefly about it in terms of being more involved in research and so on. Is there anything else that you would recommend? We've got, you know, a few minutes. Take your time. Um, we've got about four minutes, so you can take your time and answer the question. Okay. It's a beautiful question, really, and I think the reason it's beautiful is there can be multiple answers, I think, to, to this question, multiple ways of getting to the same result. But I personally will tie it back to what I was saying earlier around our passions Mm. and honestly it's sometimes to the cynical mind or to sometimes the scientific mind it can sound very wishy-washy to talk about drive and passion and sort of not practical but honestly I'm a firm believer of this anyway if something if one is passionate about something and goes out to seek the opportunities or the organizations whose values align with that passion and our own values 
and one can do maybe volunteering with them or find out more about their work, even sort of an informal chat. Like we say, reach out on LinkedIn or something and say, I'm really interested in what you do. Can you tell me more or go out and find out on the website? I think this is one of one of the incredible ways that one can do this. And I wonder whether I can share an example maybe to illustrate this abstract concept that I'm trying to get across. I am a volunteer, a very proud one, with Ramadan Tent Project, which I'm sure the work you've heard of. And I only started volunteering last year, which was the 10-year anniversary of the, this huge charity. So clearly I've been living under a rock for 10 years, but that's okay. I wasn't really very much in London. Mm. And I joined the organization as a volunteer, again, because their values align with my own. I was looking to do something during Ramadan that, like you said, can help the Ummah or is more of a community spirit. And found out that this organization is so much more than the iftars, the amazing iftars that they do during Ramadan. And I'm still sort of very much involved with them. And that so, so aligns with what I do. And I think volunteering is so important. So this is kind of maybe one of the ways of what I'm mentioning is finding finding charities. And there are so many out there, mashallah, so many other organizations doing amazing work, Islamic relief for the crisis situation that's happening all over the, the world, unfortunately. And there are many roles that are available and people are always looking for volunteers. So I say volunteering is one of the the best ways of going through. Mm-hmm. The other arm, I think, is, as we mentioned, networks, yep. professional networks or even Muslim networks, such as Emerald Network. I think there are some others out there. Just attending the events sometimes and then making connections with people. We don't know who we meet and who is in the room and how that can lead to something in the future and talking freely about what we're passionate about, what our interests are. And then maybe someone knows someone can can put one in touch and using really the skills that we may have to benefit uh, the ummah. And sometimes I find that maybe in our jobs or our regular jobs that, you know, pays the bills, we're not able to, for example, use those skills or things that we're passionate about. Like I love my job as an editor, but a lot of my communication doesn't involve speaking, actually. It involves mm-hmm. writing emails and communicating in that way. So for the speaking part, this is also why I try and get involved sort of outside of my workplace to nurture that part of me that I enjoy and I'm passionate about. Um, yeah. So I hope that helps sort of going through volunteering organizations, charities and networks that are out there and sharing our interests. And inshallah, there's a way there's a way of contributing, I think, to the ummah with our skill set and even our ideas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sabria, that was great. It's been a pleasure having you in the show. And I hope, inshallah, this has been inspiring for others as well. We've literally got a few seconds. So thank you so much again, Sabria. Thank you, dear listeners. And inshallah, I will see you in future shows. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.